Welcome again to another Press On podcast. Uh, It's great to be with you. I appreciate your time and investment uh, to come along with me as we study God's Word. I want to bring you today again to the book of James. I know that I have shared uh, unintentionally in the sense of a series, but it's sort of turned out that way, uh, uh, talking about trials. And we, in former uh, podcasts, we've talked to various aspects of how from the book of James we've been instructed to profit from trials, uh, how we overcome trials, uh, the qualities of God in our lives that are needed during the time of trial. I want us to come to the last chapter, uh, James chapter 5, and I, I want to share with you today trials and the coming of Christ. What a powerful uh, lesson I want to share with you today that has truly, truly been impacting me, and I pray that uh, God will also bless you and encourage you uh, in this as he has me. So if we turn our attention to the book of James, remember we uh, learned in James chapter 1 that James is uh, the kneeling, praying uh, disciple uh, history tells us that he was kind of called uh, uh, old camel knees uh, because he would bend on his knees so often to pray that they began to callous. He was a very practical man, and he writes in a very practical way to practical people. Now, I think that's why James may be one of the uh, most practical books in the New Testament for us, and it certainly applies to my life, and I pray that it does to yours. He's writing to the 12 tribes of Israel that have been scattered abroad, and it has been persecution for the gospel. It has been the governmental uh, and economic and military control that's been exhibited over them uh, from the uh, Romans. They've been scattered abroad to various countries and lands, and they have suffered uh, tremendous sufferings. They faced untold challenges. I don't think that we can really identify. Maybe uh, we're hearing in the news today how immigrants, and really for the past couple of years, there's been uh, a real focus on uh, immigrants from around the world that have been forced from their home. They're called uh, displaced people. Uh, This is what Israel was at that time. They had been displaced, moved out of the land. They left to save their lives and their families, leaving everything, everyone behind. And those that stayed behind suffered tremendously as well as those who left. But James writes to them throughout the book of James. And as I've said before, we've covered a number of angles looking at how faith in the book of James is meant to grow that faith is the stabilizing force in our lives, regardless of our circumstances and situations. And this is a real-life book. It applies to us in real life because you and I both have faced and, and are facing a number of severe challenges in our lives, in whatever uh, department of our life that might be. The book of James speaks specifically that trials— are the proving ground. They are the testing ground. In fact, they're the, the harvesting ground where our faith is proven genuine. Our faith is made and will grow, and it is through faith that we are able to appropriate the victories that Christ Jesus has for us in life and see it in a very practical way. So James then now is concluding his letter 
that was sent out uh, in James uh, chapter 5. And I want to just begin by bringing your attention, starting in verse 7. He writes, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain? You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, I want to emphasize just those three verses and say to you that uh, the context in which he's writing at least this chapter or this portion of his letter to the church uh, is speaking to the issue that among the Jews that were scattered abroad, uh, as is today, uh, there are those that were scattered that were rich, that were wealthy, that were well uh, endowed with their economics, and they could weather some of these storms a lot better than those who were on meager income, who we would just say the poor. And of course, in this case, he's addressing the marginalization that the rich were having over the poor. The poor were not over only suffering at the hands of the Roman oppressors, They were not only suffering in the changes of their life and the location and the geography, but now they're literally suffering at the hands of rich Jews that were around them, scattered with them, that were able with their resources to to live still a a decent, let's say, uh, lifestyle while the poor were being condemned and used and uh, injustices on every hand. And he's writing specifically in that context. But I want you to notice that uh, he he is encouraging, encouraging them in the context and the framework of the coming of Christ. Be patient, brothers, for the coming of the Lord is at hand, and until he comes, be patient. And this is the gist of what I want to share with you today. James writes, knowing that the Old Testament had prophesied the first coming of Christ to the earth, and in this New Testament that we have now, we see also the prophetic uh, being coupled with Old Testament prophecies that Christ is coming again. And these are future events, uh, not just the uh, second coming of the Lord to the earth, but it also includes the coming of Christ on the clouds to receive the church and what we call the rapture, the, the church of Jesus Christ, both dead and living, being raised and caught up together to be with the Lord forever in the air. These are future events that James is bringing to the suffering's mind as a framework in which they could live with some kind of encouragement and steadfastness in the face of their ongoing uh, trials that they were enduring. Now, this speaks to us, doesn't it? That we right now, if we could all sit around this table, each of us give our life story or even a, a today update, I believe we would hear some heartbreaking stories that are transpiring in your life and challenges in my life and so forth. And in that context, we're always trying to find our way. Could I say that the challenges and pain and sorrows we face in a way represent us being scattered abroad? 
and each of us are, are trying to sort out things in our life and to make sense of it and to find God in the middle of it, whereby we can take those positive Bible verses that say that we're more than overcomers, that we can do all things in Christ, that all things work together for good to those that love him. We want to see the reality of those verses, do we not? These people, I believe, did too. And James is saying to them, frame your present trials. Frame this current testing of your faith in the context that Jesus is going to come. And his coming is at hand. And you're to to look uh, with anticipation. And you're to find strength and encouragement. Be patient. Continue to endure. Continue to press on. God has not forgotten you. God has not turned a blind eye. His ear has not become deaf to you. In fact, the plans of God are incorporated in the, in the consummation when that trumpet will sound one day and the eastern sky will split and we will look up and our redemption will draw so near and the coming of the Lord will be at hand. And all of the cares of life, all the tribulations, all the sufferings will be cast aside. I want to walk with you for a few minutes, and I wish that we had time to turn to every verse that I'm going to reference, but I pray that you would listen and maybe make a note. But uh, I want to frame a few things for you today that I think will really, really encourage you as this encouraged the people in that time. If we were to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verses 13 through 18, uh, we could read where Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica and says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, concerning those who have fallen asleep or those who have died, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died, but he also rose again, even so God will bring with him those who are asleep or who have died in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the Lord, uh, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now, if we stopped right there, we could say, amen, hallelujah. This is speaking of the rapture. And the rapture is something that is specific for the church. And it is going to be that day of deliverance from everything of this life. Paul writes to the church at uh, Corinth and says it'll be that day, that, that instantaneous twinkling of an eye transformation where the cares of this life will be laid aside. Mortality will put on immortality. Corruption will put on incorruptibility. We will be changed. We'll not only be with the Lord, we'll not only see him as he is, but the Bible says that we will be as he is in a glorified body, in an eternal state, forever to be with the Lord in the air. Now, if we stopped right there, as I said, what encouragement is that? But listen to verse 18. All that we just read about the rapture, the coming of Christ, he says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. James was giving comfort to these people 
in their time of suffering and trials where they can't make sense of everything, where logic and reason does not come up, the mathematics of that life does not bring a balance and an equality. They're trying to figure it out. James comforts them. My friend, I want to comfort you today and say to you, be patient. Press on. Keep on keeping on. Set your mind upon the Lord. Set your heart upon the Lord. Press on to the mark of the high calling. I know it's tough. I know you're going to have suffering. I know you're going to have challenges. There's going to be setbacks. I've made mistakes. I tell you this week, I've made uh, uh, several mistakes that have cost me uh, dearly and that pain me. Today, I'm even carrying a weight upon me. You have weights too, but I want to say to you, comfort one another with these words that Jesus is coming. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And uh, boy, I wish we could just camp there, And but I, I need to move on because I want us to see also in 2 Timothy uh, chapter uh, 4, let's read verse 6 through 8. Paul is writing and he says, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure or my death is at hand. Listen, this is Paul right at death's door. We know what he went through in his life. And he says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept faithfully the faith is what that means. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day and not to me only, but to all who what? have loved his appearing. Amen. We not only comfort one another like James is saying, to be comforted in our challenges with this realization, the actual knowledge that Jesus is coming, we're to comfort one another, but Paul says here that we're to love his appearing. Yeah, we're to love it. We don't have to look for it uh, with fright and fear. There's no uh, no, uh, uh, trepidation in that. But liturgy to love is appearing because, like James said, the judge is standing at the door. Paul says, the Lord, the righteous judge. Do you realize that at the coming of the Lord, the rapture of the church, we're taken up and a process of events happen in heaven where there is the Bema seat judgment, where every born-again believer that had been living and, and, and died and uh, were all either resurrected or raptured up to heaven— Uh, The righteous judge Christ will sit on the Bema seat of judgment, and he will judge our lives not for salvation, because that has already been done through the cross. And those that accept Jesus Christ have been freed. Sins have been forgiven and forgotten. It's the reward of the saints at that Bema seat. And this is what Paul's saying. We get a crown of righteousness. Did you know, friends, that's the victor's crown? That is the crown of victory. The Jesus says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord. And all the pains of this life, all the challenges, all the shortcomings, everything of this world will be left behind. Oh, my friends, let us frame our lives in that context. Amen. Let's press on for a minute. In 1 Corinthians, Paul continues, and this time he is writing to the church. Uh, at Corinth. He's writing to you and me as well. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God that was given to you by Jesus Christ, that you were enriched in him by all, uh, enriched, uh, you were enriched in everything by him 
in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift. Now listen, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, God who is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Are you looking for the coming of the Lord? Are you loving his appearing? Have you had in you an eager anticipation for the revelation of Jesus Christ to see him come on the clouds and us to to, to, to look up and to be called into his presence for eternity, that has to give you strength today, my friend. That has to be how, how we view life. We have to see through the lens that our trials uh, are in Christ's sights, and he's coming soon to deliver us. Now, I want to continue and bring you to uh, Titus. Titus chapter 2, listen to these. For by the grace of God, verse 11, that brings salvation has appeared to all men. This is talking about the first coming of Christ, that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now look at the impact that the first coming of Jesus Christ to the earth uh, and the provision of salvation, the forgiveness of sin, when we receive that, look at now not just the event but I want you to see the effect. You follow me? There's the event of his coming, but there's also the effect. Now listen, the grace of God has appeared to all men. Now, teaching us that we should deny ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. That grace, you know, you've heard grace is the unmerited favor of God. Amen, it is. But my friends, it's more. The grace of God is literally the power of God given to us to enable us to live righteously or live according to what is right in his sight in this present age. No trial uh, can take away the grace of God. The grace of God comes to us especially in the time of trial because his grace is sufficient for and even more abundantly for the times of trials. Now, Verse 13, Paul says this, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Now, you ready? Speak these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Exhort one another with these words. That sounds just like what Paul said earlier, to comfort one another with these words. Uh, uh, exhort means to excite uh, insight to action uh, by argument, advice, counsel, or by urging. The Knowing that the coming of the Lord, not there's the event of his coming, the rapture, and then the second coming where he comes second time to the earth. He's not coming to redeem in the second coming. He's not coming to save. He's coming as the judge. The judge is standing at the door, and he's coming as the judge, and he will be judging uh, the earth, the wicked on the earth. Why? Because the saints have been with him in heaven since the rapture. Uh, he comes for the saints in the rapture. He comes with the saints at the second coming, and he comes to the earth the second time. 
Those are the events. But the effect is that we deny ungodliness. We deny worldly lust. We live soberly, righteously, godly in this present age. This is the effect uh, of the coming of Christ for us. And it's to empower you. It's to frame, give you a framework by which you're able to, to see from God's perspective that your trials are not to take you out. They're not going to overrun you. They're not going to defeat you. But if we will uh, recognize and find uh, this blessed hope in us that he's coming soon to deliver us, it will give us strength and power uh, for today. Now, let me bring us again to the end, and I I want to use Colossians chapter 3, verses uh, 1 through through 5, please. If then you were raised with Christ, seeking the things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, then set your mind on things of above and not on things on the earth. For you died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You get that? We were raised with Christ, his first coming. He provided salvation. We accept salvation, and by faith we are saved. We're born again. We're made a new creation. In that sense, we have been raised from spiritual death. We're living in Christ. We set our minds on things of above. Uh, meaning that that's our focus, that's our perspective. And then he says, when Christ, who is our life, appears, this is the second appearing. This is him, the rapture of the church. When he appears, we will appear with him in glory. Therefore, here's the effect, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, uh, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry, Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourself once walked when we lived in them. We once were that way, but we're not anymore. My friends, I want to encourage you today that trials seen in the context that Jesus is coming is is purposed by God to give you strength and encouragement, to give you that blessed hope, cause you to eagerly look for Uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ coming on the clouds of glory. And when he appears, uh, we will appear with him in glory, instantaneous glory. And we'll step over the line uh, from this life to eternal life. So this is meant for the book of James people back then to be encouraged in their times of trials and in our time today. Uh, It's that simple uh, that these events are coming Uh, We should not forget them. We should not put them on the back burner. We shouldn't uh, say like in 2 Peter 3, there are many, it says, in the last day, scoffers will come. And you know what? The scoffers, the doubters, the unbelievers, you know what they're going to say? Where is the promise of Christ's coming? From the very beginning, every generation has said, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, and he's never come. So uh, it's like the boy that cried wolf. You know, and before long he cried wolf, and and it was it was the real deal. But nobody believed him. But the scoffers are saying Jesus is not coming. Why put your hope in something that's not happening? He said he would come. He's not come. And really, what they're saying is Jesus is a liar. God has lied. The plans of God are false. It's all myth. It's all superstition. It's all in your head. Uh, and and Peter is writing that to counter 
that kind of uh, impact upon the church to say, no, God is not slack concerning any of his promises uh, as men count slackness. He, he's not forgotten. He's not a liar. In fact, God be true and every man be a liar, the word of God says. And uh, Peter is emphasizing to the people that Jesus is coming and every generation has anticipated it. And every generation has looked with eagerness. And the Paul writes and says, you know, that all of creation, which is out of sync with God, uh, because of sin and disobedience and the impact of corruption upon the earth, and even we, uh, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly body. We long to be in his presence. Uh, uh, do you feel that? Do you ever sense that? If you, if you haven't, I encourage you today to stop. Look past your, your pain, look over your troubles, and could I say look up? Look up from with the Word of God. Eagerly await His appearing. Look for the blessed hope. Comfort one another and be comforted with the knowledge that all of this life is being kept. God is a great record keeper, and the judge is at the door. And in one moment's notice, when the plan of God comes to fruition for us, we will be changed and all of life's pain and sorrows and tears will be laid aside and we will be released into the presence of God with righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And all of this will be forgotten. And we'll stand before that righteous judge who's at the door now. We'll stand before him and he'll say, well done thou good and faithful servant, and he will dispense to each and every believer a righteous reward for all of our labors, all of the sufferings, and 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 he's going to uh, be the one that will totally consume our being to where the things of this earth, as the song says, look to the face of Jesus and all the things of earth will grow strangely dim in light of his uh, power and grace. My friends, I turn you to Jesus today. And I want to say you're an overcomer, and you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength, and look up because your redemption draws near. God bless you until next time. 